Turn to Proverbs 23, and I want you to look at verse 7. There's a, a clause in the Hebrew text that, that is very revealing about, about people. And I'm going to introduce a, a principle that you find in Scripture and then pull that into where we are as believers today. Proverbs 23, 7. He's speaking of a man who is manipulative and uses ancient Mediterranean practices of hospitality as a manipulation device. Food service, okay? In ancient Mediterranean Israel and Palestine, you have honor-shame values. And if I invite the Smiths to my house for dinner and I spend $100 for food, and I'm going to make sure that I somehow bring that up at the dinner table, then in honor, shame, value, the Smiths have to invite me to their house. And guess how much they're going to spend? About 101 Just a little bit more than I do. Because in the honor, shame game that we are playing, and everybody played the game in ancient Israel, right? You had to slightly up your competitor, all right? So you create honor and status. And those things are talked about the next day in the village. In the, and it's called the gossip network. It's the means by which information is disseminated. Okay, you know, we have Facebook to communicate things. They have gossip, just normal chit-chat from women in, in their networks and where they chatted to the men and where they sat and talked and how they chatted and information is disseminated. Well, did you hear that the Smiths spent $100 on the Jones? And then the Jones came back and spent $105. Woo. And we'll see what the Smiths do if they're going to go with $110 on their Exchange. This is what happened. And meal sharing can become very manipulative in this honor-shame culture. And that's what's going on here. This is a greedy person using a meal to shame somebody else. All right? So verse 6, for example, Do not eat the bread of a selfish man or desire his delicacies. Why? For as he thinks within himself, so he is. He says to you, eat and drink. But his heart is not with you. In fact, you will vomit up the morsel you have eaten and waste your compliments in this honor-shame exchange that would define as pivotal social values in the ancient Mediterranean world. So lock on to 7a, that clause, for as he thinks within himself, so he is. We you know, have heard of these things before. I don't think it's too new. So a principle forms when you understand the ancient Mediterranean world that in, in our world as well, that thing, the idea, the thing that you concentrate on somehow becomes what you are, what you are, who you are. What you concentrate on tends to become, uh, you, you tend to become. So, uh, you know, we were talking about fitness a while ago. If I'm absolutely consumed with fitness and the vocabulary and the disciplines that and behaviors associated with fitness, my body will change. I will change because I am consumed and concentrating on fitness, nutrition, and health ideas. Right? The thing you concentrate on is what you become or what profoundly influences you. For example, turn back to Psalm 115. <clears throat> Psalm 115. Verse 1, not to us, O Lord, not to us, 
but to your name give glory. Because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. <clears throat> Why should the nations say, where now is their God? By the way, a quick comment. That is what modern culture says about us. Where's your God? Uh, you're a Christian? Really? Prove it. Where's God in your life? Where's evidence that he's at work in you? It's a great question. Uh, but our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have ears, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Why? Or, or, or look, rather, verse 8. Those who make them become like them. Everyone who trusts them. Okay. So the craftsman who makes an idol, whether it's an Asherah, a pole, a pole-like uh, idol, or whether it's through votives, uh, or someone hey, Joey, come on in here, hello. Uh, whatever the means by which this idol is made, the idol does not have hands or feet or mouth or eyes or ears or a nose or a mouth to speak. And it says, and, and scriptures teach that the creator of the idol becomes just like the idol. Those who make them will become like them. So principle is formed. That what you concentrate on, what you give your mind to, what you give yourself emotionally to, what you give yourself behaviorally to, is the very thing you become. It's a principle, and it's actually based on uh, several dynamics that go on in, in between our ears. Number one, the spiritual world. Uh, there, there are forces, there are dynamics. If you want some fancy words, there are spiritual kinetics. When thing A happens, thing B automatically happens. There's, there's interaction, there's dynamics in the spiritual world. And Paul was absolutely convinced that there are spiritual forces in heavenly places, in wicked places. That the spiritual realm is very, very real. All right. Jesus taught in Luke's gospel that when a demon takes up residence in a house while the master is away, the master comes, finds his house in disarray, casts out the demon. And the master cleans his house, gets it in order, and he leaves again. What does the demon do? It's, a, it's hovering about in, in, in odd, evil kind of places, in waterless places. And then it, when it finds out, probably through a gossip network, that the house is still empty, he goes and gets seven more, worse than he is. And comes in and takes up residence in the house again. What we give ourselves to mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, has tremendous impact on our lives. All right? For spiritual reasons. But also just for mental reasons. Your brains, our brains, are full of mirror neurons and spindle neurons. Mirror neurons are the very, it's the very building blocks of relationships and interactions. Have you ever heard of monkey see, monkey do? 
<laughs> Those are called mirror neurons. You know, folks way back then who knew nothing of neuroscience would come up with these little proverbs about people. Monkey see, monkey do. You know? I can, I can have a nail in my hand and a hammer, and I can put down a two-by-four, and these two little guys can watch me hold that nail just right, tap it to get it started, move my hand back, and then drive the nail with heavier blows, and I can, I can set the nail. And then I can take another one and say, you do it. And guess what? They'll do it. They get it. Now, they did not hear any auditory instructions. They didn't read any details, and they know how to do it. Why? Because the brain is full of mirror neurons. Uh, Dr. Rosaletti and another colleague are the ones that really developed that based on their research. This is so true that if I go, all of a sudden, most of you will do the very same thing. <laughs> you look up. <laughs> you know. you, um, uh, you're at Starbucks talking to a friend over a cup of coffee, and a dear old man comes in in a, a little walker, you know, and he's scooting along, and he hooks one of the displays, and he falls and hits his head on a table going down. And what do we do? We go, we wince and touch our heads, approximating probably this is where he got his bump, and we will actually feel it in, in an odd kind of way. We wince and touch the body part that we, we, we see he hurt as though we kind of entered into that. It's mirror neurons, all right? Then you get spindle neurons, which are dependent upon experience. It's, it, you learn by doing, all right? You do this stuff, all right? Do you realize, just based on brain physiology alone, with mirror neurons and spindle neurons, if you log in lots of TV time or Netflix time, <laughs> what happens to your brain? Just by, by, by loading up hours on Facebook, what happens to our brains? Makes sense? So that thing that you concentrate on, that thing that you expose your, your gray matter and white matter to loaded with spindle and mirror neurons is the thing you will become. It does have an impact on you. In fact, I don't know if you saw what Zuckerberg is doing now. He's, he's been pressured, the, the CEO of Facebook's been pressured because there is a problem with misinformation, particularly news reporting and fact presentations on Facebook. And so, a whole team has been developed, and they're going to be launching, according to the reports. I can't fact check it. It drives me crazy. But according to the current reports, Facebook is going to be engaging in some new techniques and new means by which they're going to put the brakes on all this fake news reporting that has loaded up Facebook. Now, we'll see. We'll see. I have fallen prey to this thing. I, uh, I saw uh, a news report from abcnews.com. abcnews.com. Is that a re reputable reporting agency? Joey's kind of nodding, yeah, kind of no, yeah. But it's one of the big guys, right? You kind of think, well, maybe they got something. So I just feel like, oh, whoa, paid protesters? What? So I hit share. Guess what I didn't catch? abcnews.com.co. <laughs> I, I missed it. 
My little brain just didn't see it. ABCnews.com, right? So all of a sudden, someone bounces a reply back and says, hey, Chris, this is a fake site. And, and I, I reply, I am so sorry. Let's da, da, da. So I did a little more fact-checking, which I don't have time to do, as you just you know, imagined. So, but I tell you what, it's just loaded up on Facebook. Loaded up. Now, we think, oh, that ain't nothing. Oh, really? Based on operant conditioning, which is the ability to exploit our mirror and spindle neurons in our brains, you can alter behavior by what you expose the brain to. You can alter behavior. That which you give yourself to, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, visually, will change your behavior. As a man thinks within himself, so he is. Okay? Those who make idols become like them. What you give yourself over to is the very thing you become. So, let's push it just a little bit. Have you ever been around someone that's endured some pretty hard things in life? Maybe uh, they've lost a job several times. And these are good qualified people. And it's like misfortune just seems to follow them. And they are broken people. And they get so broken, they, they lose hope. And they get bitter. The chip on the shoulder, grudge holder. You know that person? Chip on the shoulder grudge holder, and all they think about is the people who have done them wrong. Make sense? You know that person? And they get bitter. Can you see it? Can you, you can hear it in their voice. <laughs> you can see it on their face. You can see it on their behaviors. Uh, it, with their behaviors, the inability to trust, the inability to believe that they have worth, and their lives are literally altered. Their emotions, their brains are altered because they're bitter. And they're focused on this list, what the Apostle Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 13, a list of wrongs suffered. And they give themselves to that list, and you become what you concentrate on, and they become very bitter people. Very, very bitter. And when you get bitter... Some additional spin-off things happen. Pride. Pride kicks in. Pride says, I deserve. I deserve. Now. I deserve it. And when those needs are not met, when pride-driven needs are not met, ooh, anger can kick in. Why, why are my needs not being met? Get angry. And spin-off issues with fear. Maybe I really am a failure. Maybe I don't deserve the things that I want. And you can get into depression and hopelessness. So, as a man thinks within himself, so he is. When it comes to idols, the thing you make is what you become. Now, with that in mind, turn to Psalm 73. Psalm 73, and watch... Watch the spiritual dynamics. Watch the psychodynamics, the spiritual dynamics of what's being reported here, what's written in Psalm 73. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped, 
Watch what happens. For I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There are no pains in their death. Their body is fat. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. Their eye bulges from fatness. The imaginations of their heart run riot. As a man thinks within himself, so he is. They are mo- or they mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue parades through the earth. Therefore, his people return to the place and waters of abundance are drunk by them. And they say, how does God know? <laughs> I can do what I want. How does God know? And there is knowledge And is there knowledge of the Most High? Does God really know what's going on in my life? Behold, these are the wicked and always at ease. They have increased in wealth. And then David, look at verse 13. Or not David, but Asaph. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. Have you ever felt that way? Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. (laughs) I've done the right thing for years. And what do I get for it? What's the, what's the fruit of my disciplines? What's the benefit? I've done all these things for God. I've kept my vows. I've been pure. <laughs> for what? Where's the payoff? I haven't won the lottery. And I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus... Behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. So, when I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight until I came to church. (laughs) Until I went to church. (laughs) Until I came into the sanctuary of God. Then I perceived their end. Surely, you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment, they are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. This is judgment language. Now, we are not Hebrew people, and we think, well, that's not very politically correct, because we're all supposed to love one another, right? Supposed to be nice and share the sandbox. Uh, This is from a Hebrew perspective, an honor-shame perspective. And in the Hebrew mind... There's nothing wrong with calling on God's wrath to fall on the wicked, okay? We, we, we have a hard time with that, all right? Look at verse 21. When my heart was embittered, remember what I talked about, the grudge holder chip on the shoulder? Grudge holder chip on the shoulder. When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant I was like a beast before you. So Asaph is admitting that he began to concentrate and focus on some things that were uh, not right. He began to make comparisons that he was leading a disciplined, a morally disciplined, a morally pure life and wasn't so happy. And he would look at the immoral and see how much fun they were having. The parties at the wicked man's house my house is, has no party, and I'm the one that's pure. 
Why am I not happy? Grudge holder, chip on the shoulder. When my heart was embittered, I was pierced within because I realized I was acting in a senseless and ignorant way. I was not being responsible with the truth. I let the feelings override the facts. My feelings were overriding the facts. So he begins to confess them things. In verse 23, he gets, he gets his mind back on track. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel you will guide me. And afterward you will receive me to glory. And then he confesses, and this is some of the most beautiful language in the Psalms. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. That does harken back to, or harken forward to Revelation, doesn't it? There is a coming judgment. We, may, we Americans may not like that language, but it is a part of the scriptures. Judgment is coming. It's called the book of Revelation. And then he pulls it back around himself. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Wow. The grudge holder, chip on the shoulder, person. Cannot see these things. The nearness of God is not enough to the grudge holder, chip on the shoulder. To the grudge holder, the chip on the shoulder, verse 25. There's always something on earth that you desire more than God. If I just had the 2017 Ford F-250 four-door, four-wheel drive, man truck, I'd be happy. I'd be happy. For the grudge holder, chip on the shoulder, kind of makes sense. But to the person that is truly born again and has an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you know that a new truck or a new car or a new house will not make you happy at all. There is nothing I desire on earth. My flesh and my heart fail. You are the strength of my heart. Your nearness is my good, and in you I take refuge. So, as a man thinks within himself, so he is. Those who make idols become like them. Psalm 32. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Turn to Luke 11. <laughs> Thanksgiving through December 
more Americans battle depression and anxiety than any other time of year. <laughs> it's a tough time of year for lots and lots of people uh, because they realize that they don't have what they want, so they're not that thankful. <laughs> and then they know what they really want cannot be found under Christmas tree. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So I didn't get what I want, so it's hard to be thankful at Thanksgiving. Christmas is a big downer because the thing that I really want cannot be found under the tree, and I'm not going to get it. So Thanksgiving and Christmas for many, many Americans is a tough time. Okay? And whether, you know, for whatever reasons, you know, we're not, we're not going to try to get America on the couch and analyze them, but whatever we, for a variety of reasons, it's a tough time of year. So much so that even suicide, sui, uh, suicide ideation, the thinking about it, and sometimes the gesturing and even doing it spikes in December for Americans and our culture. They have this fundamental idea that when I start the comparison, honor, shame, comparison, and I look at this couple who seems to be so blessed, and I look at this couple not so blessed, I start making judgment calls on people. And I start looking at my life, and I think, well, if good things are not happening to me, then it must be my fault. And in short order, Thanksgiving can become a problem. And I can really struggle with a heart motive, and I can really struggle in my relationship with God. Okay? Um, Jesus' teaching... Let me, let me back up. When Jesus taught, oftentimes, the big stories that you read in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, the big, big stories, the audience were not high-level elite people. They were not high-level literate people. They were not the PhDs of the day. They were not the upper-class people. Many of them are just blue-collar, poor peasant Jews. That's all they are. Many of them are just Gentiles, uh, not Gentiles, but from Galilee in the, the redneck north, where if you're in Galilee, you pick up an accent that's actually noticeable. You speak kind of country redneck Hebrew when you're from Galilee. So much so that that Jerusalem girl and the Jerusalem-based accent, the southern accent, when, he heard, when she heard Peter talking, she said, hey, you're, you're one of them, aren't you? I can tell your accent. You, he used to hang out with folks in Galilee. You're one of them, aren't you? She spoke a southern kind of accent. And the Galileans spoke a northern kind of accent. And she picked up on it. You know. Many of these people are broken, poor people. Uh, I don't, what's the current tax burden? Anybody know what the tax burden is? If I make $100, how much goes to the IRS? Anybody know? <laughs> Someone said, a lot. Yeah, a lot. Anybody else? Any, any numbers? 30%, 35, 38, 40%. Can you imagine a heavier tax burden on you? Can you imagine 50, 60%? For example, some of the fishing industry out of Galilee on, on the, the Sea of Galilee, Rome levied horrendous taxes 
on the fishing industry because their demand for fish products was so high. Can you imagine working that hard and sending the bulk of your haul to Rome, having it shipped to Rome? How discouraged that would be. Discouraging, I should say, that would be. A lot of these folks are caught up in political systems where there's excessive tribute, there's abusive force, they are poor, they are hardworking, they cannot read and they cannot write, and they're holding on to life. The average Jewish peasant male lives to the age of about 40, 42 years of age. Okay? The average life expectancy in the first century world in, among the poor Jewish peasantry was about, for a male, was about 40, 42 years of age. Okay? With maybe only 5% being literate. When you move to Jerusalem, maybe a maximum 20% when you move to the urban centers could read. People who were beat down, who sometimes believed it was hard to find something to be thankful for. Right? Jesus teaches this to these poor people. This is Luke chapter 11. He says in verse 5, Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. Remember the power of an honor-shame meal? And when someone asks for food, you have to give it because honor is at stake when you have guests at the dinner table. Hey, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come in to me from a journey and I have nothing set to, uh, to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children are iron bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, Yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Okay? So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Quick question. You ready for a theological pop quiz? That parable of the man who comes and knocks on the door and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread because I have a guest, and I am not prepared. Please give me some bread. Do you think that is teaching us that we need to harass and annoy God? And if you irritate God and annoy him enough with your constant knocking, that God finally says, all right, already, enough with the knocking. I'm coming, I'm coming. And he brings you what you want. And all right, I got to go back to bed. Stop with the knocking. Do you think that's what it's teaching Keep picking. Just keep picking. Just pick at him. Pick at him. And finally, it's all right already. Stop with the knocking. I'm coming. I'm coming. I think it's the opposite. I think it's the very opposite. Just knock one time. He is not like a man. He is not like a hard-headed, bull-headed man. He is not like us. So if you understand New Testament theology, you understand Jesus is not telling us to irritate God and finally he's had enough and he'll get, give you what you want. No, it's the opposite. He's saying, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. It doesn't say for everyone who irritates receives. And he who annoys finds. 
and he who won't stop begging, it will be opened. It doesn't say that. Now, suppose that to make, to drive it home, the immediacy of God's ability to answer, to drive it home, he says, now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? So if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, and by the way, if your child was hungry, how many days of begging and annoying knocking would you require of your starving child before you were moved to give him something to eat? Days and days. In weeks and months and years until finally you said, all right already, enough of the asking. I'll give you the bread. Shut up. <sighs> That's a bad dad that would say that. I'm from, I'm from New England. It's not a problem. It's not a problem. You know. <laughs> it's hard to be consistent, you know. Close your mouth. Oh, that's okay. Um... You don't get this idea that if you irritate God enough, he'll somehow move himself to help you. If you being evil, a fallen human being, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Wow. So you ready? Receiving the Holy Spirit is far more important than getting bread and eggs and getting bread for friends, far more important, that you be filled with, led by, and obedient to the Holy Spirit than anything else. And when you are filled with the Spirit, and you literally walk under the teaching, the tutelage, the guidance, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you realize there are lots and lots of reasons for us to be thankful. Lots and lots of reasons. And we can begin to say things like, who have I in heaven but you? And besides, you have nothing upon the earth. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my life and my portion forever. So, Let's make some notes, ready? Journaling is important. If you could make a few notes that you, that you believe by the Spirit's guidance would help you discover some things you should be grateful for, here's two ways to do that. Number one, just a straight list. I am thankful for this. One, two, three. Okay? Another one, and this is a little uncomfortable, but it's to make a list that says, I'm really thankful I don't have these things. <laughs> That's a really good thing. Yeah. It's a really good thing. So let's practice just a bit. What I want to do is I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray that you begin to know the wisdom and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And that you realize that there's some things that we can be thankful for. Let me pray, and then I want to ask you. Uh, 
Abba Father, I know that bread and food and fish and an egg are important for us. We need protein and amino acids and complex carbs to live. I know that. But I know that man does not live by bread alone, but lives by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And I ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, that everyone here would know what it means to be filled with, led by, and obedient to the Holy Spirit. Please, do the work that only you do. You convict of sin and of judgment and of righteousness. You cause us to remember things that you taught us, even right down to the wire, right down to the very hour that it's needed. Would you please do that now? Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Clear your heart. Clear your heart from idols. Because if you focus on idols, you become like one. Remember, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Under the wisdom and the tutelage of the Holy Spirit, what are some things that we are thankful for? And if you need to do it on the other side of the equation, what are some things you're thankful that you don't have? You're the gifted body of Christ. What do these teachings have to do with a heart of thanksgiving? And how does it affect the person who is the chip on the shoulder, grudge holder? Absolutely. Why is that so important to you? Me too. Thanksgiving and Christmas can be really hard. Really hard. I'm thankful for, um, and I'm also not, I'm thankful that for the not side, and they're, they're related, is that um, I have three living children that could all three easily be dead. Yes. So I'm thankful that I don't have three gravestones of children. Yeah. Because my daughter did drugs. Pregnant, didn't know it, so she easily could have miscarried and died. Easy. My son, middle son, had blood pressure 260 over 180 and was Ooh. told to go back to his room, take an aspirin. He got stroked and died. And Daniel, 30 minutes before a tornado came, was in a, a building 
that 30 minutes later was a compressed piece of rubble. And I was, had a daughter-in-law who was a widow. So I easily, we, he and I have talked about it. We could easily have three gravestones. But instead, we have three living children and six grandchildren. Mm. Genesis, and it was um, in Genesis 18, where where it's after God is first he came and he told Abraham he was going to have Isaac, and Abraham fell down and laughed out loud. And he had to remind God that I'm 100 and she's 90. And then later, the Lord comes back and he says, kind of reiterates it, and I'm, I'm thinking, there's a lot of humor in this. I'm thinking that Abraham hasn't told Sarah what God said. But he had gone through with the circumcision thing. Because God, you know, they have a little feast thing. And God says, you know, you're going to have a, a son. And and Sarah laugh, laughs also. She's listening and then she laughs. And uh, and then Abraham asks, or God asks Abraham about her laughing. And, and she says, you know, she didn't laugh. And she says, yes, she did. And the question, he asked her a question that she does not answer. He says, is anything too hard for the Lord? And I ask myself that question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And the answer would be no. But then I ask myself, what does my, how does my life answer that question? Yeah, there you go. <clears throat> now we're down to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You become because like the thing you give yourself to. Yes. Yeah. There is. There's, yeah. There's Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that goes back to one of the things you said earlier. That's what the world looks at us and says. Where's your God? Yeah. Where's your God? Where's your life? How's your life answer that question? Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good question. I'm thankful for um, that Jesus came to heal the broken. Absolutely. On those people, and um, we haven't been that many years ago that the black, especially at Christmas, this black, because I, it took me a while to figure out what in the world, because I would just snap from, I mean, we could be having the best time as a family, and this black cloud would come over me, and it would just, I mean, it's just oppressive, and it took me a lot, it, it's probably not been but 10 or 12 years ago that it's, I figured out what that was, you know, and, and, and was able to bring it to the Lord and allow him to heal that. But just, I'm just thankful that he is a God who can, who can put your broken heart back together. And because of that, in many ways, I'm very thankful for the childhood that I had because I would never have, without that, I may never have known the healing power of God. Edie, question, and you don't have to answer, okay. I'm curious, is your earthly dad related to that dark cloud that was just kind of hit off the wall? No, it was, yes, he, he was very much related to that. Yeah. And, 
and just how miserable Christmases were growing yep, up. Exactly. And so for me, it was like, I am, you know, we're going to have great Christmases because I'm out of that. I'm starting over. Yeah. And I was one of these traditions <clears throat> and, you know, but it was so interesting how no matter how much, until God puts your heart back together his way, that no matter how much you determine in your heart that you're going to put all that behind you, you don't just put it behind you. God has to heal it. Yeah, yeah, agree. And yeah, he has to heal it. He has to show you who he is in all of that. So that when you remember, your focus turns to who he is. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, Edie, thank you. Remember we talked about mirror neurons and spindle neurons? Okay. The experience, experiences of children with their moms and dads set them up for hearts that make faith easy or make it nigh and impossible. Where, oh, I, I would gladly transfer my heart and affection to my Father in Heaven because He's got to be like my Daddy and I love my Daddy. Makes sense. Faith makes sense. As opposed to the other person who goes, <laughs> ain't no way. Well, There's that was my no way. struggle when I came to Christ because some sweet little girl ran up to me, gave me this big hug and said, you just remember this. As much as your dad loves you, God loves you so much more. And it took me literally probably 20 years to get over that. Yep. Because yep. I always related my heavenly father. Can't help it. Like it's, my dad. it's how we're wired. Mm -hmm. God made us that yeah. way. Yeah. So, uh, Daniel and Allison, little, with little guys, little kids here, your greatest ministry besides to each other's husband and wife is to your kids and how you model faith to them so that when they are older, they make the leap easily. It's an easy transition to accept the love of God. So, someone else. Philip. Thinking about two things in a broad term of my life. Um, first and foremost, I'm thankful that uh, God is patient with me. Um, and he's always there. made a lot of stupid mistakes in college uh, growing up because I thought I had life figured out and I didn't need God in my direction in my life and uh, he let me see the error of my ways in that and the ability to just surrender to him has been a great blessing since I've moved back to Little Rock because I don't want to think about how my life would be if it if everything went to plan originally at Arkadelphia, but here I have met, you know, this church and all the people here that's so wonderful and um, and just the blessing of being in school for pharmacy has uh, just been a big um, struggle in my life because I have sometimes a pride issue of just trying to feel worth in things, but uh, you know, I'm thankful that God humbled me in some ways and through that uh, taught me how to give up everything is to really live life and enjoy that. Mm -hmm. so that's the biggest thing I'm thankful for. Mm -hmm. And then 
just prayer. I'm thankful that he listens and that he answers prayer. Yeah. Um, I felt like God was calling me into pharmacy for about three years. I waited a year, and then I tried the second year, or it was two years ago, and some of y'all know that I didn't get in. And so I had a lot of inward reflection about that and wondering if I should even continue looking into school in that regard. But um, this church has been just so great in praying with me and uh, searching through that. And, uh, you know, I tested the waters. I didn't want to leave the state, but I thought, you know, if this is what I need to do, then I'll, I'll leave the state. But God, uh, I think, answered my prayer of uh, being able to stay home and uh, go to school here. And so, um, really thankful that he listens to prayers and that he answers. Mm, thank you, Philip. Thank you for being so faithful here. It means so much to me. Thank you. Thank you. So, turn to Psalm 136. We don't know who wrote the psalm. I mean, we can conject it was David, but we really don't know. Uh, there's a theme that is repeated throughout Psalm 136. What is the theme? The singular driving theme. The whole psalm is constructed around. What's that? God is good. Yep. Anything else? Yeah, 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 the eternal life. It would certainly, Edie, moving back out, sure, God is good, absolutely. The, the Hebrew word is chesed, and if you just get a bunch of phlegm in your mouth, and it's like, chesed, you're there, you're speaking Hebrew, it's good, chesed. And it, it's, it's almost like the New Testament word for grace or agape, it, it's kind of a, a little bit hard to pin down, but it means unfailing love, chesed in Hebrew, unfailing love. And, you know, 1 Peter or 1 John 4 says that perfect love casts out fear. Because the one who loves is perfected in that love. The one who fear, fears is not perfected because fear involves punishment. The genius of Psalm 136 is amazing. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to God, to the God of God's. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Why would someone bother to insert loving kindness is everlasting over and over and over and over again? Why? Because we need to be reminded. Of Evidently, we do because we are pretty selfish critters and can botch things, you know, rather quickly. If there's an issue I could ask you to settle in your life, it would be to settle up on the love of God. Settle up on that issue. And if you can't, uh, your faith is going to be exhausting. It's going to be exhausting. Because you live in this cause and effect, punishment, reward kind of world, and it's just exhausting. Uh, Allison said, Grace. That is like chesed, loving kindness. You know, we need to do a lot of self-talk about who God is because 
even that song, you know, we just came out of a political season where we realized that if you, if you hear something over and over and over again, you believe it, mm -hmm. whether you know whether it's true or not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we know God's word is true. Mm -hmm. And if we just, and, and even for me, I mean, there are times when life is just eating your lunch, you know? Absolutely. And I have to, but what changes my perspective is to go back and testify to myself who God is right here, right now. You know, and that yeah. changes, it just changes yes, how you're does. looking at whatever this is over here. Yeah. You know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, let me pray. And uh, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you for unfailing love. Teach us about faith. Give us the courage to admit that your nearness really is our good. And that you are a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father and a prince of peace. And your love endures forever. And we have so much to be thankful for. Uh, Dad, sometimes the meeting with family and gathering around the dinner table is hard. It's difficult. The wounds can be deep. The proverbial elephant in the room can kind of just ruin it somehow, some way. As Edie said, there's just some dark something somewhere. It's hard to describe, hard to get at. And uh, it's hard to be thankful for some of those. Help us to not be like an idol who has ears but can't hear, eyes but can't see. In the words of your son, Jesus, he who has ears, let him hear. Please. Receive our thanks. You are good. And your love endures to all generations. Bless now in Jesus' name. Paul wrote that what he had received from the Lord, he in turn gives to the Corinthian followers. In the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and it says in the Gospels that he broke it and gave thanks. Quick quiz here for you, you Greek buffs. What does the word give thanks mean in New Testament Greek? Jesus took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it. What's the word? Surely a good Catholic would know what the word is. Come on, Sue, that's our cue here. Okay. That's our cue. I'm, I'm helping you out here. What do the Catholics call communion? What's that? Eucharist. Who, who said Eucharist? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Eucharist. Eucharist is from two words. You, which means good, and charis, which means grace, or joy, or thanksgiving. I attended a funeral a few days ago, and someone spoke the eulogy. Good words. Logos. You logos. Good words. Jesus took the bread and eucharist. Eucharist. He gave thanks and he broke it.
We have so much to be thankful for. What Jesus Christ has done for us. So much to be thankful for. You know, sometimes we can be a little bit like this guy Asaph. We're not sure who this guy is. But he's a pretty insightful character. So when he started looking around, you know, he's the disciplined man of God. Doing it right. Living by your rules, Lord. Where's the blessings? Not seeing it. Not feeling it, Lord. I look around. And the people who have no regard for you, nor your word, your laws and standards of morality and ethics are having all the fun. And the party's at their house. And they grow fat, which is Hebrew language for meaning to get plenty to eat. As opposed to us who don't. And we're, we're starving. And it's awful. Fat people are blessed people. Skinny people are not blessed people. This is not right. I'm, I'm walking the straight and narrow and I'm miserable. These guys are doing the wide, wicked way and they're having the party. It's not right. And then he says, but then I, oh, then I went to church and I figured it out. In the end, their path is slippery and leads to a horrible place. But as for me, it loops it back around. I know where I'm going. Okay. If we're not careful, we think that we should have Christmas right now. <laughs> we want heaven on earth right now. And if God would just do the big thing and give us what we want, then we're happy. No, heaven is, you don't open the presents early, all right? Heaven is coming. There will be a day where no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain. No more tornadoes that will destroy everything. No more disease, no more cancer, no more heart disease. There, a day will come when there will be plenty of food at the table and skin color has nothing to do with who sits down and who doesn't sit down at the meal. doesn't matter. Racial issues go away. Ethnic issues go away. No more hate. It's coming. We know our end. And so therefore we can say that the nearness of God is my good. Paul said, I press on to the upward call of God, which is in Christ Jesus. I don't, I don't dwell on what's behind me. I press on. I look forward. So, Jesus took the bread. Eucharist. He, he gave thanks. He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. And like manner also, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, you remember me. So when you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim his death. You tell the story of the gospel. <laughs> A reason to Eucharist. To give thanks. So when you're ready. Come to the table. With thanksgiving in your heart. For all that God has accomplished. Through his son Jesus Christ. Through the cross. Through his death and resurrection. Let me pray. Father I love you and thank you. And ask now that you. Um, receive our thanks. As we take the bread and the cup. In remembrance of your son. And what you accomplished in us. Through him. In Jesus' name, amen.